Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, welcome to Money MD on another beautiful spring day. And John, we have some great topics to talk about here. Um, you know, we're going to start off talking about Social Security. Social Security is one of those things that seems simple on the surface, but once you dig into it, it's a lot more complicated. So we have some ideas for how to maximize your Social Security when you're at that point. Yes, yeah, great, great topic. Um, you're right. It is very confusing. People think it's pretty simple, but um, a lot of rules and regulations built in that. And uh, then we're going to switch to um, a little bit different topic. CNBC uh, has a good discussion on home ownership and the regrets that people have. And we see this when we do counseling. Um, you know, a home can be a blessing or it can be a curse. And you got to really true. understand what you're getting into when you're going through that process because there's a lot of hidden cost in home ownership, and we'll kind of dive into that as well. That's right. That's a good one. You got to keep your eyes wide open there. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 24 years of experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast. You can listen directly from your computer or you can go to iTunes, a lot of different ways to uh, to get access to that. A lot of um, uh, podcasts, we've been doing this for a, a number of years now, so we have well over 100 200, maybe 300 now. Yeah, we have many, many hundreds. Yes, quite a few. And uh, we also have a lot of uh, videos and calculators and tools out on the website. So go check that out. Uh, Facebook, uh, we have a post out there every week for uh, the prescription of the week. And we also have a MoneyMD Twitter handle also. So go check it out. Yep. And send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at MoneyMD.com. Well, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. This comes from the Department of Labor, and this is uh, some positive news. The uh, 12.8 million manufacturing jobs in the United States as of February 2019 is the nation's largest total since December of 2008, which was right in the midst of the yeah. you know, the, the bear market, the crash, everything else that happened in that time frame. So it's it's recovered. There, it's there's taken some, 10 years. It has. There's some favorable tax laws now that have been, uh, gone into place. And um, so, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, the, the USA manufacturing is, is doing very, very well. It's very strong. Yeah. And I think it shows that tax cuts and deregulation does work. I mean, it has certainly helped in the last couple of years, but... Um, Still, I mean, long recovery from the downturn, yeah. you know, back in 2008. It's great to see the U.S. economy, you know, finally get back on its feet um, in a big way. So that's great news. All right. And that leads us up to our first topic here, and that is tips for maximizing your Social Security. Um, this is based on an article out of Social Security 101, uh, T.O. Spangler. And, um, you know, though, John, I mean... Since the tax reform just last year, um, Social Security looks a little bit different. And it, it's interesting because that Social Security actually does change a little bit every single year. People don't realize that, but um, Social Security is complicated when you really dig into it. And, you know, every year some of the provisions change a little bit. For example, the payroll uh, earnings cap went up from 124400 or 128400 last year 
to 132,900 this year. So you're going to pay that 6.2% social security tax on an extra $4,500 of income this year. So it does change. And the average social security benefit in 2019 is $1,461 a month. A month. Yep. So, um, not so, enough to live on. No, it's definitely not enough to live on. Keep you from starving, but it's not enough to live on. But you know, but if you have two of those and one of them's bigger, you know, it's certainly a significant portion of your retirement income. So it's very, very important. Um, and it does get a cost of living adjustment each year. Um, albeit that is oftentimes very small. Uh, but some people do get a lot more, you know, the maximum social security, you can get right now, 2019, at age 70, is $3,770. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's if you max out the wage base for 35 years, you'd get you'd get 3700 So that's a lot. And that's waiting until 70, and which most people 70. don't. But True, true. So that is the absolute max. Yeah, but benefits are, they're based on your highest 35 years of earnings, which means that you can you know, work the system a little bit, right? You can get that earnings, that earnings window up. Um, for example, if your top 35 years includes one or two years in which you earn very little, um, such as minimum wage job during college, you can make up for those low earning years by just working a couple extra years before you claim Social Security, and that can make a significant impact on your Social Security benefit. I say significant, you know, a few percentage points, mm-hmm. but still you know, it replaces some really low years. Um, So the amount of your Social Security retirement benefit depends on how much Social Security tax you've paid in. And, you know, as I mentioned, the the rate is 6.2% on their earnings up to the maximum wage base limit, um, which is that $132,900 this year. Um, And it's for both you and your employer. So you pay 6.2%, your employer pays 6.2% as well. Um, but you need at least 40 quarters or 10 years of Social Security wages to qualify for retirement benefits. Yeah, so one of the, the tips is, is um, you know, you can work without reducing your benefits. Uh, you can earn, keep earning money while you're drawing Social Security benefits without a reduction as long as you follow the rules. And, and there's a couple of circumstances that uh, you're, you can get full benefits. And one of them is, is you reach uh, full retirement age. And um, so it doesn't matter how much you earn. So that's one of the the triggers. Uh, if you reach full retirement age this year and you make $46,920 or less, you can still get full benefits. And if you reach full retirement age after this year, you can only make $17,640. So, you know, there's some ways that you can get the full benefits and still earn some additional income to help you out with your budget. <clears throat> right. But that is a big consideration. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're planning to work part time in retirement, you got to factor that that limit in before you choose to draw Social Security. So, you know, when you're under full retirement age and you make more than that 17640 limit, then you're going to lose $1 in benefits for every $2 you earn above that limit, according to the Social Security Administration. Um, you'll also lose $1 for every $3 above the limit during the year in which you reach full retirement age. And that's that 46920 limit. So you have to be careful that you just need to be mindful of that limit. And, you know, that the idea that they're going to cut back on your benefits if you work during retirement. So in that case, you may want to delay retirement till you reach full retirement age. 
or delay delay drawing benefits to reach full retirement age. That way you can work part time and just draw out of your 401k or something else, you know, until you reach that 66 and change, mm-hmm. you know, yep. age limit. Um, so your benefits, though, you know, even if they do take money back, your benefits will be recalculated and increased once you reap full retirement age. So you don't totally lose that money. Comes back to you later. It comes back to you later. So it's not a total, you know, it's not a disaster if that happens, okay? You know, you do get it back later. It's like you're delaying your Social Security for a while. Um, So Social Security replaces income progressively, and that means the lower earners generally receive higher income replacement rate than the higher earners income earners, and it's a lot better deal for the lower income earners um, is what that means. Um, Also, though, don't expect a bump up at full retirement age. You know, one of the biggest Social Security myths out there is that you can claim your benefits early um, and your payment starts lower um, from 62 until full retirement age, and then it bumps up higher at retirement age, at full retirement age. That That's simply not true. You know, the truth is, an individual retiree will receive the same benefit increased only by the cost of living adjustment throughout retirement. Um, you know, so the automatic, you know, bump up myth uh, represents kind of a misunderstanding of how the system works. So in general, you decide, you know, whether you take the lower benefit, you know, or the higher benefit later. Um, you get about seven and a half to eight percent more for every year to delay from 62 to full retirement age, and that means you're going to get about 30% higher Social Security benefits if you wait until full retirement age instead of taking Social Security age 62. So, you know, you have to pin down exactly what that's going to, when that's going to be. Um, If you were born between 1943 and 1954, you're going to receive full retirement benefits at age 66. After age 50, after 1954, if you were born after that date, then it starts going up gradually pro rata to, to age 67. So um, just be mindful of that. Yeah, and so another tip here is to, you know, you got to consider the best time to claim. And it doesn't mean that you should claim as early as you can. If you do that, you can short shortchange yourself if you jump in without, you know, careful thought and analysis. The optimal Social Security benefit age varies widely for each individual and each couple, um, so you got to look at your situation. The variables that really need to be factored into the equation include marital status, looking at how much you've earned, um, availability and amount of the other, you know, retirement income sources, your your age, your health status, and then your cost of living in retirement. So there's a number of factors that you have to consider, you know, to make the right decision. And obviously, if we knew when we were going to pass, we we would know the right decision. No one knows that. So you've got to do some some estimates on the front end. That's right. You got to do some planning here. And, you know, delaying your benefits means larger benefits, but only if you live long enough to collect them. So you got to consider your life expectancy. I mean, for example, you know, if you're 62 years old, but you're in very poor health, I mean, consider claiming your benefits immediately and, and don't be seduced by the financial incentives of waiting if you really don't expect to be around, you know, when you're 85. Um, so think about that. You got to be realistic about your life expectancy. The longer you're likely to live, the more reason you have to delay receiving your benefits. And the earliest age at which you can retire is 62 and take benefits, of course, um, at least four years before full retirement age, depending on when you were born. But you'll pay the price for early retirement in the form of reduced benefit amount for the rest of your life. You know, so for example, so if you retired age 
If your full retirement age is 66, but you retire at 62 in 2019, you'll only get 75% of your full benefit. So you have to consider the cost there and, and you know, figure out the trade-off. Um, but, you know, hold off on benefits to earn more if it makes sense for you. I mean, early retirement cuts in your benefits, uh, you know, cut your benefits, but late retirement increases them. So consider waiting a few years after your full retirement age to start drawing Social Security benefits. Um, for every year you delay up to age 70, the benefit goes up by 8%. That means that if your full retirement age is 66 and you delay all the way up to age 70, your benefit's going to be about 32% higher. Um, for example, if you would have received $2,000 a month at age 66, waiting to age 70 is going to give you a 32% increase, which is $640 a month more at age 70. So, you know, if you think you have a long life expectancy, um, if you're if you're married and your spouse has a lot lower benefit, um, that's another reason to delay because, you know, your wife, you're the survivor of the two of you get the higher benefit. Yeah. So another tip here is, uh, suspend benefits until the age of 70. And this is a strategy for people who maybe regretted, you know, taking the benefits before, before age 70 and they just sus- suspend them. And, um, in order to, to suspend them, you have to be receiving the benefits. You also have to be full retirement age and not yet 70 years old. So, you know, the benefit suspension is not applied retroactively, but it starts with the payment the month after you suspend and you can earn the 8% increase, you know, roughly, uh, for each suspended year to age 70. And then your benefits are automatically going to kick on at that point. So, you know, there's a couple, you know, the key thing is you have to be taking them and you have to be full retirement age. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point. And um, also see if you qualify for restricted application claims. Um, this rule lets you apply for your spousal benefit while your uh, individual benefit continues to grow until you reach age 70. Um, now, they've phased out this benefit, but, you know, at, at, at that point, if you can do it, you're, you can switch over and claim your higher benefit Um you know, after you've started claiming off of your spouse. This restricted application rule was tightened, though, recently, but you can still take advantage of the strategy if you meet all the three requirements. If you were born before uh, January 1st, 1954, so you have to be, you know, in that category. Um, And also, if you were eligible both for an individual benefit and a spousal benefit, and you have reached for retirement age. So those are the three things, um, you know, that allow you to to take that benefit, delay your own, and then take your own later. So that's one option. Another one, though, is to coordinate your benefits with your spouse. So when both you and your spouse are eligible for Social Security, be sure to come up with a strategy that works for both of you. Um, this depends on the other retirement assets that you have and whether one or both of you are currently working. You know, one of the best strategies for a couple with Social Security benefits is to take the smaller benefit early and delay the larger benefit all the way up to age 70. This maximizes the couple's benefits, usually depending on your life expectancy, and it allows you to still get some monthly benefit earlier. Um, This is usually beneficial because the surviving spouse gets the higher of the two benefits, so the highest benefit will last for two life expectancies under that scenario. Yeah. Another thing here, uh, another tip is to claim Social Security benefits as a spouse. And you know, you qualify for Social Security benefits, what you earn Social Security wages for 10 years, 
But if you're married to a high earner, or in some cases we're married to, to one for at least 10 years but are now divorced, you might be better off claiming as a spouse, and you don't need to worry about your own benefit level because it's probably going to be smaller. So your Social Security benefits will be half of whatever your spouse gets if you claim at full retirement age. So claiming a spousal benefit before you reach uh, retirement age will result in a permanent reduction of benefits. So that's a good that's a good option that does impact a lot of folks. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good one. And then, um, you know, claiming benefits as a surviving spouse is another option. Um, if you are widowed or a widower, uh, you can claim a survivor benefit when you are age 60 if your spouse dies before you do. So consider uh, waiting, though, to claim Social Security benefits until you reach full retirement age if you can, though, um, because once you start once you start claiming that spousal benefit, you're locked into that that benefit, um, you know, forever. But waiting will allow you to receive 100% of what your spouse would have received at the time of their death. <clears throat> um, waiting is is to your advantage if the amount exceeds the, what the benefits would be, um, what your individual benefits would be. So that's another option. You got to look at those spousal, those surviving benefits if you are a widow or widower. Um, okay, well, that is our tips for maximizing your Social Security. Um, there are lots more out there, though, so call us if you have questions about any of those. And that leads us up here to the question of the week. Yeah, this question has to do with uh, tax refunds. Just got a large refund. Well, congratulations. That's that's good. Any suggestions on how to spend it? And certainly would you know think about Dave Ramsey's baby steps and making sure that you have emergency funds and paying off debt. Um, would be two really good options. Uh, you can peel sure. some off and go do something fun with it, take a little trip or whatever. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah, yeah. maybe half. Yeah. I just, I, my, my rule of thumb is, hey, when you get a windfall, save at least half. Go do something fun. That's right. Do something fun with half, though. Yeah, and so the other thing is, is look at your, um, you know, why are you getting so much back? If you got in your paycheck throughout the year, maybe a better use of it versus getting it all at one time. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you're letting the you know IRS keep your money for you know, an entire year or half a year, as the case may be. Um, and so, you know, now with interest rates ticking up a little bit, you can still, you can get 2% now, you know, on, on a good money market account. So, uh, yeah, I mean, letting them keep your money for the entire year is probably not a great strategy. That's right. You know, plus a lot of times when people get it back, they tend to blow it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so anyway, save at least half. That's kind of our rule of thumb. Good question of the week. And that leads us up here to our, Topic about uh, millennials and the regrets they have for for buying a home, John. Wow, this this is like a Debbie Downer. Yeah, well, you know they miss one crucial step, and uh, we'll dive into it. This is CNBC article, Megan uh, Leonhart, and um, you know million uh, millennial homeownership has really is not really strong if you compare it historically. Rough, roughly one in three millennials under the age of thirty five own a home at the end of twenty eighteen. It's according to the U.S. Census Bureau. That's an 8 to 9% uh, lower percentage than previous generation homeownership rates uh, for that same age bracket. It's interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, you know, yet many younger people lucky enough to own their own place, they still suffer from buyer's remorse. About two-thirds of millennials say they have regrets about purchasing their current home. There was a, a bank rate study of 1,500 homeowners, millennial homeowners, and uh, so about two-thirds of them, Steve, are not – they have some buyer's remorse. Uh, about 35%, about one in three baby boomers say the same, and about 50% of Gen Xers, which is 39 to 53, have some remorse as well. But, you know, 
I'm not sure why that is. I don't, part yeah. of it, I know it's that you don't estimate all the costs associated with it, but I think millennials like freedom and flexibility. Well, you know, I think they're smarter, quite frankly, than our generation. Um, honestly, because I mean, I, I don't know about you. I waited five years before we bought, bought a house and that was our plan. Our plan was to save my Kathy's salary mm-hmm. for an entire five years so we could put a huge down payment on a house or even pay cash for a house. It was a crazy idea. We could, you know, get a lot of interest on our savings back then. And, uh, and that's what we did. And, you know, I don't regret that at all. Yeah. I mean, I think that was the way to go. And I think millennials are kind of falling more into that mode of saying, hey, let's don't rush into a house. They saw the housing crisis. There's a lot of bad things can come with a house with with houses. You know, there's a lot of risk there. And there are a lot of added costs, which we're getting ready to talk about here. So I, I think that's smart to, to ease into a house, not rush into mm-hmm. it. Yep. Go slow. You know, go slow. I mean, you know, it's a big commitment and there's a lot to take care of with a house and, and it can be very, very expensive as we talked about. But anyway, the top reasons though that millennials have regrets, um, you know, one of those is underestimating the hidden cost associated with buying a home and including the ongoing responsibilities of maintaining it. Um, it's kind of the number one frustration that they have, you know, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of hidden costs, which you're getting ready to talk about, you know, insurance, taxes. So and there's all these things with a house that you don't really think of. And it's a lot of added costs, but it's a common mistakes ex- experts say, and it can be a costly one. Yeah, you, you've got to know if you can truly afford to, to both buy and then own a home. And you got to get a full picture. Um, and it's not simply comparing your know, rent payment with the potential mortgage payment. You've got to do a full check of all, all the finances and a lot of hidden fees come with owning a, a home, like you were mentioning, Steve. Insurance, property taxes, closing costs, which can be anywhere from two to five percent of the home price, and a lot of folks yeah, don't know big. that until they get there at the table. And uh, those kind of um, <laughs> those kinds of hidden costs even tripped up uh, Barbara Cochran. She's the real estate mogul on. Uh, um, what is the sharks? No okay. shark tank. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, she said when she first bought her home, she sat down at the closing table um, and uh, didn't realize there were closing costs, and she had to borrow some money from the seller in order to do that. So it tripped her up as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I, I bring this up a lot of times with people that are looking to move or upgrade or buy a house, and and you know, it, it, I just had this conversation yesterday with a client um, that was thinking about moving. And, you know, I said, you know, if it's temporary, just rent. And the reason why I said that, because, you know, you know what your expenses are going to be if you rent, Mm -hmm. right? There's not a lot of hidden costs. There's no temptation to go out here and buy a whole bunch of furniture and really, you know, decorate it to the hilt. Um, You don't have to worry about some major repair or sinking you or trying to sell it later and having to pay a 7% commission and maybe losing money in a bad market on the house. So if you're, if you're not, if it's a temporary situation, I'd say don't go by and, you know, plan to stay in a house three years and think that you're going to get out clean. Um, there's a lot of variation there, a lot mm-hmm. of risk. And why not just, why not just fix your cost and know what you're going to pay, even if it's $1,500 a month for renting someplace, you know, just, you know, don't take that risk unless it's long term and you're really, you're really moving into a house you plan to stay in for a very long time. Um, you can get hurt. But yeah, first time buyers, they often overlook the cost of upkeep and repairs. Um, you know, you but you got a plan to spend one to three percent on the purchase price of a house annually for maintenance. And so if the home is priced at three hundred thousand dollars, then your budget needs to be at least three thousand dollars a year for upkeep for the house. And people forget that. 
So it doesn't help, you know, cash strap millennials that they often kind of struggle to afford just the down payment. So you have to be careful about that. You know, roughly one in three millennial home buyers, you know, they took on a second job um, to save it up. So, you know, there you go. Yeah. And then in addition to the mortgage, you know, most, uh, many millennials have student loans um, and they don't have much money saved up for hidden cost of owning a home. This is why the regrets are coming here. And, um, you know, the key to avoiding regrets in the long run is to play it safe. And, you know, maybe it's a starter home that you later trade up on, but don't go for that dream home on the first try. And like you just mentioned, Maybe renting is a is a better option as well. Yeah, that's right. You know, and there's a shortage of starter homes. Unfortunately, many millennial homeowners end up paying more than they wanted or they had budgeted for their house because there aren't that many homes available at, you know, at an affordable price. The millennials have seen their rents go up year after year, and many of them, you know, they think that if they buy a home, it's, you know, it'll be more affordable. But a matter of fact, housing has become unaffordable in a lot of areas. But, you know, for those people that are looking to buy a starter home, a lot of them I suggest buy an older home. You mm-hmm. can buy older homes a lot cheaper or fix it, some that need some upgrades, but you can get a bigger house, you know, and, and if you're planning to have kids and you're young, you know, they're going to destroy your house anyway. So don't go <laughs> buy a pretty pristine brand new house. Yeah, in a lot of areas, um, <laughs> these starter homes are, are really unavailable. They're they're unattainable for millennials because they're so expensive. Only 67% of homes in 2018 located in metro areas were priced uh, affordably for millennials. And in Los Angeles, only 19% were. So it doesn't surprise me. I'm sure New York is in that range as well. Um, And so, you know, there is a, a shortage of these kind of properties sometimes forcing people to overstretch your budgets. And that's where the regrets come in here. And some of the other regrets is um, having an understanding of that total cost of ownership may be the biggest regrets, but location also plays a role. About 10% of those polled by bank rates say their biggest regret stems from where they bought their home. Uh, they're settling for homes in less than ideal neighborhoods, so they had to give up a little bit on the the location to get the home they wanted. Yeah, that's right. And another 18% of millennials are unhappy about the size of the home, saying that they regret the you know buying a, a place that ended up being too small. About two-thirds of all homeowners um, reported compromising on some characteristic like size in the survey that was recently done. Again, I, I tell people, you know, look at older homes. You can buy a bigger older home and maybe it needs some upgrades, but you can get a bigger home and, you know, for a lot less money. They they, they tend to be a lot fairer priced. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, if you have kids, you know, it's 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 going to need redoing after they're out of the house anyway. Yeah. So I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. You, so you got to you got to do some research on this. Don't um, you know, looking at these new homes that are in these neighborhoods that are up and coming. Certainly in this area, there's some a lot of growth in this area. Uh, but that comes with a price tag, big mortgage, uh, a lot of hidden costs associated with it. When you get into a new home, guess what? You need blinds. Yes. Right. You, and you, you need, need carpets, carpet, you know, rugs, rugs pictures, lamps. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. And you, this is coming from a little bit of experience here, right? So be careful when you're buying, when you're thinking about where you're going to stay. Renting is a great option. It gives you options in the future. So. And then just fill it up with, you know, older stuff off yeah, Craigslist. That's you right. know, I mean, cheap stuff. I mean, it's a great way to go. And, and you know, it's it's temporary. You got your whole life to to move up into the pristine big house that you once dreamed about. <laughs> so. 
There you go. All right. Well, that leads us up here to our prescription of the week. Yeah, this is um, talking about giving, and and uh, you know we are uh, giving individuals and in a, in a firm, and we believe uh, giving should be a part of everyone's financial process and strategy. Dave Ramsey says, you know, um, you know, live like no one else, so later you can give like no one else. In First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter twenty nine, verses an eleven and twelve, kind of puts it in perspective. God owns everything anyway, right? And Absolutely. He He views us as a steward of that, and part of that is is giving. So you have to be intentional about it. You have to really do some planning and um, you know figure out what you know. Do some research on where you're giving. Uh, it can be giving of um, money, obviously, is, is kind of what we're talking about, but also time and talents and passions. And we see that with folks that are retiring is. I had a conversation with a gentleman yesterday. He's like, all right, when I retire, what am I going to do? I'm like, well, there's a lot of, you know, nonprofits that need your help and experience and sure. so forth. So, you know, giving is an, on a lot of different levels, but it is something that we're we're strong, you know, believers in giving, and we try to make sure that's uh, that's important uh, to our families, and we, we think it should be uh, something that, that you look at. Absolutely, yeah. And I'd add one point to that, and that is also make sure your giving is tax-efficient. Um, you know, most people can't itemize anymore, um, since the, the standard reduction is now $24,000 for, you know, somebody married, filing joint. Um, so, you know, if you're over 70, maybe give out of your IRAs, you can give out of your IRAs for your RMD up to, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year. Now that's a great idea. You get the tax benefits of giving, you know, money tax free out of your IRA, um, but you can also kind of double up your giving in one year maybe to get a deduction for it. So think about that aspect as well. But, yes, be intentional about your giving. Do some planning. That's a great prescription of the week. Yeah, I had a client uh, talked with yesterday. They're going to um, they're gonna combine their giving for 2019 and 2020 into this year. Cause it's a they, good idea. Because they're, they're a <clears throat> yep. couple and, the, you know, the deductions are, you know, 20, over $24,000, the standard deduction. So they're going to try to get above that. Yeah, and you can give to a donor-advised fund and then dole it out slowly That's over right. the course of a couple of years. So there's lots of ways to do that. So good prescription of the week. Um, and this brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net. Or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 